guys, JP Mac, and welcome to Dirty Reeler, not just another conservative blog. Hi everybody, welcome to the podcast. Uh, today we are going to focus on the debt limit, um, as you may have read or seen in the news. Uh, President Biden just signed into law the agreement uh, to raise the debt ceiling in exchange for some uh, minor uh, takebacks by the GOP. Of course, this is a uh, a law that has you know left nobody happy. Um, I guess the ones with the most reason to celebrate over this uh, debt ceiling increase would be the Democrats and Biden administration. And it looks like the Republicans uh, once again have caved on an issue that they really held all the cards on, or did they? And so we're going to discuss that a little bit. Um, but I'm going to focus more on the larger um, aspects uh, and the larger um, idea of the debt and national debt and things like that rather than focusing on the minutia on this particular debt ceiling deal because this uh, debt ceiling deal is just symptomatic of a whole series of debt ceiling uh, increases and it's symptomatic of a greater problem we have with our debt and deficit spending and so that's the real problem we have here. Um, again, we can go back and forth all day um, arguing the merits of this particular uh, debt increase that was uh, just signed into law and was negotiated by Speaker McCarthy um, this past weekend, and or over the Memorial Day weekend, actually. Um, they reached the agreement and it was just signed a couple days ago. But anyhow, again, this is emblematic of a much larger problem with the debt and deficit spending. And so I want to talk about that and leave all of the Monday, mo Monday morning quarterbacking about this particular deal um, to the other uh, experts and podcasts and what have you. And let's focus on mainly the deal or the debt ceiling increase itself and the need to have a debt ceiling increase at all. And so I'm reading uh, this article from the Daily Signal and it talks about the liberal media predictably fault only GOP for debt limit debacle. And again, it's pretty safe to say it's a debacle. No one, particularly no conservatives, particularly are fond of this deal. And so I am going, I mean, this article does uh, talk about the specific deal here, but again, you know, you could pretty much apply this to probably any argument over the debt ceiling increase in, well, in the, ever, but particularly in the past few years, past few times it's been done. Um, 
So again, this is just get to kind of give you all perspective on the problem other than, again, uh, dwelling on the minutia of the deal itself. And it starts out, um, Democrats and Republicans reached an agreement to lift the, lift the debt ceiling and nothing is going to change in the disturbing pattern of America's national debt climbing by leaps and bounds. The best reason for pessimism are Democrat messaging media. They can't be bothered to offer the most basic facts in budget coverage. What is the budget for the current fiscal year? What was the last budget deficit? How large is the national debt? These are questions that are rarely answered by news anchors. What we get is a lot of horse race jockeying and finger pointing instead of facts. They must be, they must think the viewers are too stupid to juggle numbers. Rich Noyes of the Meteor Research Center studied all 74 even, evening news stories on the spending debate from January 1st through May 27th when the agreement was struck. It's not pretty. The Congressional Budget Office reports discretionary federal spending amounted to $1.3 trillion in 2019 before surging during the COVID-19 years, topping at $1.7 trillion during 2022. The original GOP plan, before it was diluted in negotiations with the Biden team, would have paired that back to just under $1.5 trillion. And So I'm just going to note here that McCarthy was saying this is going it was going to be to pre 2020 levels and of course uh it's going to actually be, would have been actually more even best case scenarios it would have actually been a little bit more than pre-pandemic levels so all right we'll just move on uh yet in nearly one fourth of the stories 17 out of 74 reporters cast this proposal as extreme using terms like quote deep steep slash and gut to characterize republican proposals this is to be blunt uh quote pants on fire false abc's mary bruce described the gop plan as brutal quote deep spending cuts that would gut quote biden's agenda slashing social spending and environmental programs nbc nbc's peter alexander said uh key conservative republicans who have the power to derail any deal are urging mccarthy to hold out until democrats slash more spending who was to blame for the impasse out of 44 sound bites from anchors reporters and a handful of nonpartisan sources 21 blamed republicans 23 blamed both sides and zero blamed only the democrats and so that would seem to be kind of like the thesis of the
article here is that um, either they were, the news outlets were willing to, bo to blame both sides or they were only willing to blame one side, the Republicans. None of them blame the Democrats. Uh, even though most of the increase of spending, if not all of it, was the idea of Democrats. Um, we can only postulate what would have happened if the uh, Republicans uh, held um, the Congress back when the original budget was passed in uh, 2022. Now, of course, 2023, we're, we're voting on the debt ceiling and not the budget itself. And so I want to take a look at that fact in a number of ways. But we can only postulate, I think it'd be a good guess, that had the GOP been in control of the uh, budget or, you know, in control of the budget instead of uh, Nancy Pelosi and, and the Democrats, it would have been a smaller budget. Now, how much smaller, we won't know. Would it have gone back to... Uh, uh, 1.3 trillion or would it have been the 1.5 trillion that uh, McCarthy was aiming at what would it have been in I'm inclined to guess it would have been the 1.5 trillion um, so but the problem is that the whole problem arose again um if the Republicans had been in in control of Congress at a time, which they weren't, they they only gained control this year. Uh, that's a fact worth remembering. So this was a Democrat-led Congress that passed this initial budget bill that blew through the uh, the debt ceiling. And this is the important part that I want to for you to take away, if you take away nothing else but this, is, now you you will recall Biden, you know, chiding the, the Republicans and McCarthy uh, about, you know, they're playing chicken with the national economy and, and all this doomsday scenarios about what if we default on the debt. And... Um, the, the one question that I would hope that McCarthy or one of the negotiators on the Republican side would have asked the, um, the president at the time would have been, well, well, Mr. President, if you're so concerned about, about uh, defaulting on the debt as we are, uh, why did you sign this budget which you knew damn well was going to blow through the debt ceiling um, are the Democrats going to play dumb and pretend that they didn't know that the uh, the budget that the last Congress uh, signed into law and that the president signed was not going to blow through the debt ceiling of course they did so all, all of this going on about the default on the debt is really it's in a way, it's kind of a red herring because the problem wasn't raising the debt ceiling per se. The problem, the real problem, was raising the debt at all. Okay, because we had an extremely high debt to begin with, even if going into 
2018-19 when they were talking about rolling back the the budget clock to to these numbers. Um, Everybody forgets or seemingly has forgot that it was the Democrats or Democrat-led Congress that voted for this spending that blew through the the debt ceiling in the first place. I mean, they they knew what the debt was. They knew what the debt was projected to be in this fiscal year. And they knew that based on the receipts that we got last year that we were unlikely to um, make up enough to not have to raise the debt ceiling. Everybody knew that. Uh, you have the GAO, the Government Accounting Office, telling us as much, um, telling us what this budget would have done to the debt. And so it's not like they didn't know. And so Biden, he can complain about uh, defaulting on the debt ceiling and try and blame that on the Republicans all he wants. But the fact remains that he was the one that signed that budget into law in the first place. And again, my question to him, McCarthy's question to him should have been, well, Mr. President, why did you sign this budget in the first place, knowing that it was going to blow past the debt ceiling and thereby cause this debt ceiling increase and did you really think that we were just going to let this happen uh, having been uh, voted into power the Republicans were voted into power one of the main reasons that they were voted into power in the first place was to get a rein on the deficit spending and so that's the problem right there I mean Again, the Democrats and Biden can complain all they want uh, about you know risking defaulting on the debt. Well, first of all, um, we have obligations that we have to to pay for for Social Security and Medicare and things like that, and of course there's the national defense. But then you have all of that discretionary spending that uh, was added on, that's always added on into every budget. And so when they say, well, on June 1st or June whatever, um, we would have uh, defaulted on our debt. That's not exactly true. The only way to default on the debt is not to continue making the payments in full on interest on the debt, okay? And that is not the entire debt. The interest on the debt doesn't add up to more than all of our receipts that the IRS took in last year or going to take in this year. So that bit is a little bit, if you will, you know, they like to use the term uh, misinformation or disinformation. Well, that idea is disinformation. So if they had that disinformation governance board Presumably, they would have had to call themselves out on that little bit of uh, misinformation or disinformation. Because as long as we were paying on the debt, um, you have all of this optional spending. That's why it's called uh, discretionary spending, because it's optional. Um, 
that's where you know if anybody doesn't get paid it would be from that discretionary spending first um, so you, you also have to keep that in mind and we could have um, so when they say that the debt uh, was going to be defaulted on as of June 1st or whatever they were saying that's again that's not exactly true that's if you didn't cut or if you uh, paid all of the budget uh, kept paying all of the budget which defaulting on the debt is only if you don't pay a certain part of the budget that pays the interest on the debt so again they're being a little bit misleading well more than a little bit misleading on that point there um, so let's see what else they have to say on the subject um, so uh, a little farther down in the uh, article uh, the Republicans were blamed for quote hostage taking and heading for catastrophe for trying to modestly cut spending but the leftists won't draw any of that blame if they refuse to vote for this deal because of work requirements no anchor will ask if holding out and risking horror movie disaster is better than merely asking able-bodied people to work if they can. Media coverage is part of the negotiations. Democrats arrive at the table knowing that they have the upper hand, that they can accuse the other party of, quote, slashing money for old people or veterans or school lunches and face no, uh, quote, fact-checking. Democrats aren't singled out for being extreme. And so again, this goes to what I'm saying. And also, you know, when you talk, when you are quick to fault um, uh, McCarthy about his negotiation, and sure there's probably room that he could have done better. A um, lot of fair criticism about the deal that was shuck. Uh, the real question is, would it have, uh, what deal would, could have passed both the House and the Senate and been signed by the President? Um, so that's, that's the real question. And again, you, you have to put yourself, um, you know, I'm not trying to be an apologist for uh, the Speaker of the House, but, you know, he has to look at it, you know, who's going to get the blame? And of course, the whole media ecosystem is geared towards uh, favoring one side and thereby giving the Republicans to blame whether or not it's fair or not. So that's the consideration. Of course, we also see that um, at the end of the year in the fall when they're trying to work on the budget for the next year, uh, and they talk about having to uh, close down the government except for essential services and people are not going to get paid and we all go through this whole thing um, first of all um, it's been established that you know everybody gets paid the, the all of the 
you know, whenever you have this budget impasse and they close down, shut down the government, and of course the, the Republicans always get blamed for uh, shutting down the government, it doesn't matter what side of the argument they're on or, or who has the real power in the equation, the Republicans always get blamed whether or not they, it's justified or not because, again, the media machine is geared up that way. Um, it favors uh, the Democrats over the Republicans. And so the Republicans know that and they have developed this phobia of having budget battles and government shutdowns because they feel like they're going to be blamed for any such thing. And their, their fears are, are uh, not totally unwarranted either. Um, and the same thing comes to the budget battles or the debt ceiling battles too. Um, they know, or they fear, at least they fear, that they're going to get blamed. Now, if you listen to some sources, uh, they say that the Republicans were in a pretty good position this year for getting their message out and um, averting the blame because after all, it was not them um, the one good thing that the Republicans did, which was smart, well, depending on your your perspective, but I would think it, it was smart, at least as a bargaining chip going forward, was that uh, McCarthy could honestly say, well, we're the only ones who passed a debt ceiling increase, which was true. They, they passed the debt ceiling increase, and of course it was tied like they said, to the reduction in spending back to uh, about 1.5 trillion from 1.7 trillion. Um, so they, they had that and that gave them a lot of uh, bargaining power and a lot of a pretty good position even within the media. Um, so that was one of the criticisms that was leveled at the speaker um, probably fair is, um, but as also one of the good things that they did was they, they were able, they, they didn't pass the, they didn't say no increase. They said, we'll increase the, um, we'll, that we'll increase the debt with these, uh, stipulations. And so, again, you know, they were the only ones who, uh, had any, you know the Senate hadn't proposed any any debt ceiling increase, and neither had the president. Of course, the president wanted just the, you know a clean bill, you know that so that he could go on. Um, but at least that was, I would say, one of the wise things that the Republicans did. Now, we could certainly argue whether or not they squandered that little bit of advantage, that little bargaining chip they had or that wiggle room they had given themselves um, now we can certainly argue that maybe they squandered a lot of that bargaining position that they had but again uh, my point is you know who signed the bill in the first place that exploded the, the debt ceiling that blew through the debt ceiling yeah, that wasn't the Republicans that signed that bill. That was a that was a Democrat, President Biden, who signed it. 
and that was mainly that all of that spending increase I'm pretty sure would have been down to the Democrats now of course you get back to the Republicans they have as I mentioned this phobia about not having to close down the government and of course they didn't have um, they didn't have uh, control of Congress yet back when the budget itself was passed they only had control when the debt ceiling increase was passed and that's important to differentiate the two and so again who wanted all that extra spending well of course it was the Democrats they're spending on things they're basically bribing the people with the people's own money uh, which is of course a problem um, and so and that leads me to my my next point is you know there's always at least for a long time has been this bit of corruption where you have the Congress you know basically buying votes uh, with the people's own money and a lot of the spending uh, I heard somewhere uh, it was estimated uh, maybe like 75% of the spending in the government is taking spending or money from one group of Americans to give it to other groups of Americans and, and that's pretty much true I, I think that we can pretty much uh, take that as a given a lot of the a large majority of the spending being done by the federal government nowadays basically takes money from the taxpayers to give it to special interest groups and of course you know it is true that both sides will do it and both sides have their pet constituencies uh, but it's also true that the one side does a, a lot more than the other uh, are really are very corrupt in how they uh, pass budgets they uh, give money to their special interest groups to their donors they pay back their political uh, donors um, through spending increases and and starting new programs or adding money to programs going out and so very little or only a fraction of the actual spending goes towards things that arguably that the government should be doing like providing for national defense keeping our uh, roads and bridges our interstate roads and bridges and infrastructure going um, providing for the basic functions of the government and for uh, providing for um, some basic law enforcement and things of that nature um, and everything else uh, is money that's being paid to basically bribe other Americans to get votes um, money basically money exchange for the votes and of course um, they are of course in the end bribing the people with the people's own money and that's the the joke that is the scam and then a lot of these same people you know 
they maybe they said they'll they'll give they they'll have uh, this program that goes out supposed to go out to this uh, underserved constituency, and so they have uh, huge spending increases in the name of serving um, the underprivileged or the the poor in America or uh, what have you, and then you. All of that is, of course, deficit spending, or almost so it's all is going to be deficit spending. And so then what happens is that causes inflation. Of course, uh, if you listen to this podcast um, before, you probably heard me talk about uh, the inflation bomb and about how most of our inflation that we're experiencing right now, a good deal of it, not all of it, but a good deal of it, is directly attributed to uh, deficit spending. Uh, the uh, spending that the the spending increase that were passed by the Congresses and signed by the president. You know that money has to come from somewhere. It doesn't exist. We don't have that money in our coffers. So what do we have to do? We basically have to print that money. And so that is causing inflation because every of course you know in its basic economics 101 that the more of a fiat currency you print the less each unit of that fiat currency is uh, worth it dilutes the currency so it's like as soon as we took it off something like physical like the gold standard then and we, we started printing more and more money for more and more deficit spending then that dilutes the um, buying power of each individual dollar so if you print more dollars each individual dollar is worth less and that's an important part now one of the cheats that they do and this is part of modern uh, monetary theory is that you have the uh, US dollar as the world's reserve currency and so it's not these dollars are not just uh, being spent here in the United States by Americans they're being held all over the world by different nations by different governments and they're being spent elsewhere so that money is not in the American economy and so that's why we can kind of sidestep a little bit some of the uh, inflation that would be caused because the inflation comes from that money has to be in the economy it has to be readily available and so again um, that's one of the tricks that we've been doing you can only do it so many times so you can only go back to that same well so many times before that well runs dry and so that's what we're on the verge of finding out now I'm afraid of is that again the theory is and it's not wrong but it's just misguided and as you will see you have all of these dollars, all these American dollars spread out through the um, through entire world 
And so you have, uh, for example, something called the petrol dollars, where if a uh, country wants to buy oil, say they're going to buy oil from OPEC or oil from Saudi Arabia, well, they're going to pay the Saudi Arabians, not in their money, not in uh, euros or yen or uh, Canadian dollars. They're going to pay for that oil in American dollars. And so, of course, all of these countries have to have a good reserve. That's what's called a reserve currency. They have to have a reserve of American dollars in which to spend things on things like um, petroleum products. That's why they're called petrodollars, is they are American dollars being spent. Um, so that's how it works, and that's how... Uh, in my, a modern monetary theory, you kind of avoid or at least forestall the problem of inflation by printing uh, more and more money to service your debt by monetizing the debt because not all that money stays immediately in the United States economy. So I hope I'm explaining this um, in a way that you're going to understand it. But... Um, Hopefully you can, if I can understand it, and that's what was taught to me, hopefully um, most of you are at least as smart as I am. And so I have faith in your ability, and hopefully I'm just um, showing you or teaching you um, this about this in the right way. So anyhow, uh, hopefully you all understand the basics now of the mo uh, modern monetary theory, or at least one of the main precepts of it, maybe that's not all of it, but one of the main precepts is that it's mainly, it's the money that's in the United States economy that causes the inflation, or at least has the most to do with causing inflation. And if you disperse that money through different nations, well, they're not competing necessarily. They're not buying goods. They can't be used to buy goods in America per se. They're being used by goods elsewhere. And so, again, that forestalls, uh, at least for a while, the inflationary um, problem. And so you avoid that, at least for a time. Now, the big problem we're having now that we're facing, uh, particularly since the start of the uh, war in Ukraine with Russia, and so now you have, uh, you know, Russia and Putin are persona non grata uh, on the economic stage, and we're trying to wean the Europeans off of Russian gas, and so, of course, they get around it anyhow, they'll, they'll buy it through uh, non-aligned countries or countries that haven't signed on to the agreement, um, you know, so they can, might buy it from uh, India, I think is one of the countries that um, is being used to sidestep the embargo of Russian oil so that other European countries can get their whole get their hands on Russian oil it's just not coming directly from Russia um, so anyhow you have that and basically you have the Chinese and the Russians kind of colluding with uh, the Saudis and I guess other OPEC states but the Saudis are the ones that we hear about the most and that I've heard about um, using 
their own currency to buy um, petroleum, to buy oil. Remember, it used to be that they would use American dollars, petrol dollars. And so now that they're using their own currency, you have more of those dollars per um, you know, you have those shiny new dollars, the ones that still have the ink wet on them from being printed at the mint. Um, those new dollars that are being printed to service our debt aren't going overseas as much. So they're not going over to countries like Russia and China and because Russia and China are not using American dollars. Okay, they're using their own money. All right, Russian money or or Chinese money to buy oil, and so what that does is remember the the problem is uh, well the whole thing that makes modern monetary theory work is that particularly when you're the world's reserve currency as the United States dollar is, and it's being spent all over the world, you're not directly affecting your economy. The problem is if countries stop buying the dollar or stop using the dollar that and you're still but you're still making the dollar so the supply of dollars is still going up but it's not being diffused throughout the entire world it's being concentrated it's being kept in the American United States economy and that is what causes inflation and that what is what could cause potentially hyperinflation you know, the problem is, you know, the, the dollars, if they're being spent overseas, is not really so much of a problem for the United States. It only becomes a problem or comes mostly a problem when those dollars come back here. And if there's no home overseas for those dollars and you don't uh, limit the supply of dollars, then, of course, you're going to increase the supply of dollars in our own economy and that dilutes the value of each individual dollar inside that economy and that causes inflation and then you can get into things like inflationary spirals and that is a big problem because that can lead to hyperinflation and you can see like in Weimar Germany in the 20th century the, the Weimar Republic they tried to inflate their way out of their World War One debt and other things. Um, they tried to inflate their way out of the debt. They printed their own money and, they, and of course they caused hyperinflation because you get the inflationary spiral. And so, and, but beyond that, you have that causes bank failures. Because what does the uh, Federal Reserve Bank do? Okay, now you the you have this debt. You don't have enough dollars. You don't have enough money to pay for what you've uh, signed into law, saying that you're going to pay. Uh, you know, giving out all this money to all a lot of these special interest groups. So we're giving out all of these monies to all of these special interest groups but that money doesn't exist yet in the real world so the um, Federal Reserve of course has to print those dollars 
okay they're, they they can't fund it all in with just debt they have to actually print dollars so again you're printing dollars and so that causes inflation well now you have a problem okay where you have inflation now the fed is stuck with the job of how to control that inflation to don't cause hyperinflation don't destroy the economy and so they have to raise interest rates they have to again keep a lot of money on the sidelines where it's not being spent okay because you printed all that money and you can't put it overseas you can't put it all overseas and so some of that money that's staying in the United States economy staying in the United States has to be sidelined and so you have to make it harder to borrow that money and use that money you know it has to be harder for businesses in particular to get at that capital and so they raise interest rates they they raise the rates to make it more expensive for particular uh, companies to borrow that money and that thereby that keeps some of that money on the sidelines right and the idea is that controls the inflation because it's the spending ultimately that drives inflation because you you don't have really inflation you need two ingredients at least for inflation you need to have demand continued demand and continued spending and you have to have increased money supply but if you decrease either of them then you decrease the inflation and of course that's the theory that they're they're working by and so they they raise interest rates and so what do the banks do okay because the banks have maybe uh, they've bought dollars or they've they've bought you know cash you know they have money in cash and uh and uh federal you know uh bonds and, and things like that now you're um you are buying you're buying bonds let's say you're buying debt at one rate and you thought well it's a pretty good rate i'm making a modest return and i'm keeping a lot of money in reserve because remember after the 2007 2008 uh crisis uh the the we had um you know the recession from 2008 the the solution was to develop these stress tests and the monies have to keep a certain amount in cash and cash holding um so that's what they did uh, a lot of the banks did now they have these bonds basically and now you're all of a sudden you're increasing the going rate of the bonds meanwhile you have all the you're stuck with all these bonds that are uh worth less than what they are being printed at now so you have all these bonds all of a sudden they're decreasing in value and so what ha what is happening the banks are defaulting um they're stuck with all of these all of this money that they can't really they have to keep enough in reserve because again that was the solution for the 2008 
um, crisis there um, so in the 2008 recession so that was the answer the stress test and so they're keeping money in reserve that they're not lending out and not really doing anything with now they're stuck with all that money which is worth less and now a lot of the banks are having problems um, because they're too much leveraged in that uh, one area that is uh, decreasing in worth so it's it's kind of like um, you know you have something you know uh, say you have a, uh, a gold bar an ounce of gold right and it's worth so much and you have you've been hoarding all this gold all of this all of your life and now you have plenty of gold and then one day someone some alchemist uh, invents the real way to turn lead into gold now you're stuck now anybody can have gold because now it's just at the price of lead and so now your gold is worth a lot less than it was just a few uh, years ago before some alchemist um, learned how to turn lead into gold and so now you're stuck with basically all this worthless metal and so that's kind of what we have now is you know they had all of these investments that were worth one thing now they're worth a lot less and now they're stuck with a lot of worthless or nearly worthless investments and now they're getting into uh, problems and you're, you're hearing a lot about bank failures and so basically I guess that's an oversimplification of the problem sure um, but I think you get the basic idea is that they're raising interest rates they raise the interest rates because they're controlling um, or just to back up a little bit the banks are defaulting or or going losing their money because it's costing them more to have the same amount or the proper amount on hand of money so now their investment certain amounts of their investments are worth less than they were just a short time ago and they're st stuck with all of this um, worthless investment or near worthless investments that's because it's worth it's less it's worth less because of what the Fed did to with the interest rates because they raised the interest rates because they had to print more money because our government decided to spend more money uh, in the name mostly of giving that redistributing the wealth and buying votes so you see how you have that the beginning of that vicious cycle and then of course what happens is you know you have several years of you know nine or ten percent inflation now you have more people right more people that the money that the federal government has to help and so that's more money that the that the federal government has to raise and more programs and and oh you're hurting now well you need don't worry we're going to set up this program for you and we'll send some money your way 
what they don't tell the people is that the reason you're hurting in the first place is because we spent money uh, buying votes for other Americans and now you're hurting and now you need money from us and so you have that inflationary spending you're you're causing people to need money and so you're printing it to to satisfy them and get their vote and so that raises uh, inflation and then the inflation causes more people to need even more money and so that's a pretty neat uh, setup um, you one might even call it a scam or a fraud being uh, perpetrated upon the American people but that is basically what's happening and so now um, going to attempt to tie this all back in uh, kind of wrap it up with a bow and so you have inflation and that's called that's making it more temptable people more tempted to receive government handouts and it's easier to justify uh, government handouts to special interest groups and people and in particular and then there's all the other money that you've already promised people and now they need even more money because of the inflation that you cause and so it becomes this vicious inflationary cycle and so there you have it um, again getting back bring it back to the debt ceiling now remember if you don't here's a simple idea that maybe the federal government can adopt um, I'll give this advice free of charge if you don't raise the debt then you don't have to raise the debt ceiling and you don't have to worry about defaulting on the debt. I want to thank you for listening to the LR podcast, particularly if you've been here for the past three years or you've listened to three years worth of podcasts from Liberty We Learn. Thank you very much, especially and all those new people who hopefully catch on. Um, please like and subscribe to Rumble when you see this or wherever you get this podcast, whether you watch it or see it. Uh, follow Liberty Relearned online at libertyrelearned.com and follow Liberty Relearned on Facebook. Follow at LR Podcast on Getter and hopefully one day soon you'll be able to follow me again, JP Mac on Parliament. So until then, stay healthy, happy, and